Let's uh, remain standing for the reading of God's holy word. Today's text comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. And the word of the Lord says, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and yet there are higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sleep is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and wickedness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not remember, not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. The word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You can all be seated. So as we unpack the book of Ecclesiastes, we see a pattern of Solomon talking about the things that cause us to focus on ourselves and to lose sight of eternity. And he's challenged us to a radical shift in our vision, to focus less on earthly passions, less on our own schedules, less on our own desires, less on temporary pleasures, and more on God. To focus less on the gifts of God and more on the giver. And he's driving us toward the concluding point of Ecclesiastes 12, and that is this. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, I want to encourage you, if you haven't been here, to go online and listen to the messages on Ecclesiastes that have led up to this point. Because Scripture isn't meant to be read in a vacuum. Listening to the entire series will give you some context and some perspective on where we've been and where God is leading us in this book. And each week we've had a theme. And I'm not going to go through every theme that we've had every week while we've been through this. But I don't want to disappoint you today. Today has a theme too. Today's theme is this. Money is good, but money is not God. Money is good, but money is not God. So here's the big point we're pushing toward today. The end action that I'm praying will result from hearing God speak through his word. Because our preaching should also always result in some action in our lives and putting feet to our faith. 
So this is the idea that we're pursuing today. Fear God when you're making money, when you're counting your money, when you're spending and saving and budgeting and giving away your money. God is sovereign and money is a gift from Him. And if your money doesn't understand who is boss, then your money will become the boss of you. Money is a good servant, but it is a bad master. Money is good, but money is not God. Uh, All that being said, I want us to take a moment and clear our minds and let's pray. Father, we come to you now having sung your praise and heard your voice and your word. Help us now not to focus on self, but to focus on you. Help our minds to be awakened and our hearts set on fire at the hearing of your word. And help us to be changed in how we think and act and feel through the power of your spirit. Help us to be fixed on the loveliness and the sweetness and the beauty of the gospel. And help us to appreciate all the gifts you give in our world, but to make Christ our only treasure. It's in the name of your beloved son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I've been doing ministry for 23 years, uh, 15 years of ordained ministry, and I mention money from time to time in sermons, but I tend to purposefully avoid the topic of money for two reasons. One, I've experienced churches where there was such a heavy emphasis on the topic of money, where not having enough money in the church accounts was an issue that it clouded the gospel message. And two, I've experienced churches where the teaching on money was less than orthodox, where it was less than built on Scripture and more on the greed of man. And money wasn't always used for the glory of God, but it was used for selfish ambition. And shame on me from not preaching enough about money because money is a prevalent part of our lives. And if you don't believe me, You can go to a gas pump after church and say to the person at the pump next to you, can you believe these gas prices? And just see what the response is. Or or sit down with someone who owns a business and pays salaries and benefits and supports not only their own family, but the families of other men and women. And ask them if they think often and worry often about money. Or, Or talk to someone like me who's moving out of middle age and creeping slowly toward retirement age. And ask, ask somebody like me if you think if, if they have anxiety over whether they'll have enough money to retire, or how they'll support their families or pay their mortgage if they do. Uh, ask a senior citizen if they have to budget carefully. Uh, so money is a huge part of our individual lives. Uh, in, in fact, if we're going to be a church that preaches the full counsel of God's word, we have to talk about money. Sixteen of Jesus' 38 parables talk about money. More is said in the New Testament about money and possessions than heaven and hell combined. Uh, Five times more is said about money than prayer. And and where there are 500 plus verses on prayer and faith, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible dealing with money and possessions. So why all this talk about money? Jesus said it best in Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So God is teaching us that how we use our money and our possessions are big indicators of our faith. So money is this huge life issue and it's a huge spiritual issue for sure. So it's good that we have a biblical approach to how we think, act, and feel about money. About how it's earned, how it's spent, how it's saved, and how it's given away. 
So today's text is going to teach us six negative facts about money and two positive facts about money. So we're going to start by looking at verses 8 and 9. And it says this, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and yet there are higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. What Solomon is teaching us here is that when it comes to money, life isn't always fair. If there's money in abundance, there's going to be injustice. The person in the penthouse or the mansion will always seem to have advantages uh, over the person in the basement apartments. It's a fact of life. Having more money gives certain people distinct advantages in life. In the legal world, in the social world, in the economic world, in the political world, it gives people advantages that other people with less money can't access. I have a former co-worker who has done the same kind of work as me for all these years, the same amount of time that I have, and they live in a house with seven bedrooms and nine full bathrooms. they don't work any harder than I do. Uh, they make more money, though, somehow. In, in fact, this individual only works one job, and I work two. And many of you know that feeling. Uh, when I was writing this sermon, I thought about Annette, who over the years, she's driven a school bus, and she's operated a farm, and she's operated multiple businesses at, at one time. Uh, and, but even someone who works that hard won't always have the abundance or the wealth Of someone else. What determines who can win political elections? Money. What determines who can build a bigger house? Money. Uh, The nicer vacation? Money. And is that fair? Well, not necessarily. If someone works hard and has loved the Lord and loved their neighbors, then maybe it would be fair if they could have a mansion and the nice car and the designer clothes. But as we've talked about in prior weeks, life isn't always fair. I, I said this morning, and this is kind of ironic today, that I'm preaching this sermon and I'm wearing a Ralph Lauren polo shirt. But I want you to understand that this was a shirt that I had a cousin in Alabama who lost a lot of weight. and He passed his fat clothes down to me, which gives me a lot of mixed emotions. Uh, so I like the clothes, but I don't like being fat. Uh, Fatter than him. Uh, But when someone has money, they're always committed to making more money, right? That's what Solomon is leading us toward when he talks about a king committed to cultivated fields. So the number one negative fact about money is this. When it comes to money, life isn't always fair. The second is this. If you have money, you'll always want more money. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Solomon is telling us that money is not the secret to happiness. Instead, the desire to make money is compared to addiction, and money itself is vanity. The Hebrew word for vanity literally means a breath. So money is temporary and can come and go as quickly as a breath enters and leaves your body. Uh, Notice here that Solomon describes man's desire for money with the word love not once but twice. So money isn't necessarily a problem. It's man's desire for money that is an issue. Uh, We don't think 
of money as temporary. We think if I could get X amount of dollars, I could have the house I want. I could have the car I want. I could have the person I want to be with. I would have influence. If I could get this or that amount of money, I would be happy. But money is a gift from God. It's the love of money that creates problems. And the more you love money, the more obsessed you'll become with it. Uh, Like an addict crazed with drug. John Rockefeller was one of the richest men from one of the richest families in American history. And someone once asked him, how much money do you want? And he answered, just a little bit more. And Solomon is telling us, I've had it all. And I can tell you from experience, money doesn't satisfy. Money is a strong addiction that consistently leaves someone wanting more. The third negative fact Solomon teaches us about money is this. The more money you have, the more you spend. Ecclesiastes 5.11 When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? If you win the Powerball this week, next week you are going to discover that a lot more people like you than you thought liked you you are going to discover that there are a lot more people related to you than you thought were related to you. Uh, You'll find those long-lost relatives and people who are so happy that you finally made it, and they will come to you saying it with open hands, right? Uh, Not only will you have people in your pockets, you'll need help managing all that money. There'll be bankers and financial advisors and portfolio managers and lawyers to help you spend and protect all that money. Uh, Listen, here's what we cannot do. We cannot allow ourselves to believe that if we had enough money, then all our problems would be solved and our lives would be stress-free. More money makes life more complex. Therefore, you and I need to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of believing that if we just had a little more money, then that would solve all of our problems. Uh, Let's be honest enough with each other. Isn't there a part of all of us that if we only had enough to pay off all of our bills and buy like maybe the top 10 things that we wanted, we would believe all of our problems would be over? I mean, don't we think that way? I I do. The, The truth is having more creates as many problems as it solves. If you buy a lot of land with your money, you have more land to take care of. If you expand your business with your money, your business becomes more difficult to manage. If you build a bigger house with your money, you have more house to clean and your taxes go up and your insurance goes up and your utilities go up. And even worse, the more money you have, the more people there will be that resent you for what you have. And money can become the defining force of your life. And remember what we said in the beginning, money is a good servant, but it is a bad master. The fourth bad fact about money that Solomon teaches us today. The more money you have, the more you'll worry. He wrote in Ecclesiastes 5.12, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Solomon is saying that having a lot of money will make you worry so much you can suffer from insomnia. You have too much going on, too many responsibilities, too many people to take care of, Too many calls to make, 
Too many investments to figure out. Too many losses that might or might not happen. What is the stock market doing? What if I lose this client? What if the IRS audits me? What if somebody gives my business a bad review on social media? When you only had a little, everything you had, you owned. I love the memory of my grandfather. The only new car he ever bought in his life was a 1964 Ford Fairlane. And even into the 80s, it was the only car I remember him driving. Uh, He was so proud of his car, he would paint it every year with house paint and a brush because he wanted it to look new. Uh, And I remember him having a conversation. I had an uncle who owned uh, this beautiful red Dodge pickup truck. Uh, And I loved that truck back in the 70s. It had a Mack truck bulldog uh, hood ornament on the hood of the truck. And I loved that truck. It was just my favorite vehicle I ever ever saw. And he used to make fun of my grandfather's old car. And I remember my grandfather one day, he just had enough from my uncle. And he looked at him and he said, the best thing about that old car is I own it and it doesn't own me. He knew my uncle had a high payment to go with that nice truck he had. I mentioned John Rockefeller earlier. At the age of 53, he had an Ivy League education. He owned Standard Oil. He owned Chase Bank, which was the largest bank in the world at that time. Uh, He owned a nine-story mansion in the most prestigious neighborhood in New York City. And at the time, he was the world's only billionaire. He was sick all the time. He was so fixated on not spending his money, he only ate crackers and milk. And he constantly complained of insomnia. So at 53, he began giving money away to universities, to charities, to social justice organizations that help the poor. He even bought land and donated it to national parks. And the amazing thing was, the more he gave away, the more his health was restored. And he wound up living to age 93. It's estimated that he donated around $530 million to charities in his lifetime. And he was still able to leave $240 million to his family when he passed away. So having a full stomach, a full bank account will lead to worry. But generosity gives a man peace. Proverbs 11.25 reads, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The fifth bad fact about money that Solomon shares with us. He says, The more money you have, the more money you'll hoard. Verses 13 and 14. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by the owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. Solomon is calling greed a grievous evil, the ultimate kind of evil. If we share the gifts God gives with us, we'll have peace. But if we hoard our money selfishly, it'll hurt us in the end. One bad venture, one bad investment, and it's all gone. And that legacy we thought we would leave for our children is gone like a wisp of smoke in the wind. So we have to have hope in something more lasting and more secure than money. And here's the sixth bad fact that Solomon teaches us about money. He teaches us that money is temporary and frustrating. Verses 15 through 17. 
As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. I know most of you don't remember this, but I'm going to teach you today a biological fact, and that is you were born naked. Every one of us, we were born with nothing. And when we die, do you know what we're going to take with us? Nothing. Nothing. None of the treasure that we build up on earth will go with us. Naked in, naked out. Started to name my sermon Naked In, Naked Out, but I knew Neil Smith would pick on me about that. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5 says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Has anybody got a dollar bill in your pocket you can take out? Anybody got one? Ray's the only person with money at church today? Ray, there's a bird on the back of your dollar bill. What is it? And is it, are its wings folded or spread? You know why they're spread? Because that sucker's ready to fly out of your pocket. <laughs> all, all denominations of money might not have wings on it, but whether you have one dollar or five or twenty or a hundred or a million, it is all ready to fly all the time. It's interesting to me that when celebrities pass away, their estates still make money. I want to ask y'all a question. This is a quiz, okay? And if you're able to identify the, the correct people, uh, all right, or we'll say t- uh, three out of five maybe, two out of five even, uh, the, the five celebrities who are passed away whose estates have made the most money in 2022. Who would, who would guess one? You said Michael Jackson? Who said Elvis? You, uh, June said Elvis. You said Michael Jackson. Give me some more. Who do you think the other, other three would be? Those are two of the top five. Any ideas? Prince. Prince? He's number 10. Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix didn't make the top 10, but he made a lot of money this year. Anybody else got a guess? John Lennon is in the top 10, but he didn't make the top five. So here they are. Elvis was number five. He died in 1977. His estate has made $17 million so far this year. Number four was one I didn't see coming. Arnold Palmer died in 2016, the golfer. His estate has made $25 million this year because he invested in Arizona beverages, which makes all kinds of crazy teas and stuff. And, And he also was an investment partner with MasterCard. Number three, another one I didn't see coming, was Charles Schultz, who drew the Peanuts cartoons. Charlie Brown, he died in 2000. His estate has made $32 million this year. Number two, I definitely didn't see coming. Number two is Dr. Seuss. He died in 1991, and his estate made $33 million so far this year. 
And number one, uh, you got it, man. Uh, Ray owes you that dollar. Uh, Michael Jackson died in 2009. His music catalog has made $48 million so far in 2022. You know how much of that $48 million Michael and Jackson has enjoyed this year? None. Zero. Not one penny. All of it is a breath when you're faced with eternity. You can't take it with you. Naked in, naked out. And while you have it in this life, it can be a frustrating thing. Money won't console you when you're mourning or help you with your pain or support you in hard times. It can cause fighting and jealousy and lawsuits and grudges and resentment and anger. Money is a good servant, but money is a bad master. Solomon closes out by giving us two positive facts about money. He says this, uh, he teaches us that, number one, working for money is a gift from God. He said in verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and fill the earth and subdue it. When the Bible says be fruitful, it means be productive. Work hard. It's what we were created for. Jesus himself was identified by the type of work he did. When he began to teach in his hometown, people responded in Mark 6, 3 by saying this, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? The work he did, he was a carpenter, was just as significant in shaping people's perceptions of him as who his family was. In, in between the cradle and the cross was the carpenter shop. And if Jesus worked, we ought to work too. And we ought to treat work as an expression of worship. Paul urges us to do our work well for God's glory in Colossians 3.23 when he writes, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Most of us treat work like it's a curse when it's a gift from God. If you go around after church today and you ask all of us guys what we've been up to lately, you're going to get the same answer from almost everyone. I was just working, man. Staying busy. Man, work is killing me. It's wearing me out. But, but work isn't a curse. It's a gift. God gave us work to do all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And we'll have work to do in eternity. In Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, Jesus offers words of encouragement for people who are faithful in the work that the master had assigned them by saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. When, when I do my job well at DFACS, we have an unwritten policy, okay? If you do all your work and you do it well, your boss is going to give you more work to do. You don't get a raise, you get more work to do, okay? And sometimes that makes me angry, but it's actually a biblical approach to work. If you can be trusted with a little, God rewards you with more. 
Work is a gift from God, a reward from God. So when we wake up on Monday morning with breath in our lungs and a beating heart and we're employed or we have a house to clean or or we have chores to do, we should thank God for the work that he's given us to do. Enjoy your work because it gives God great joy when you do. And the second good thing that Solomon teaches us is about money. Everything you have, including your money, is a gift from God. Verses 19 and 20 of today's text. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Apart from the grace of God, you would have nothing that you possess. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? If God has given you much, enjoy it. If He's given you just a little, enjoy it. But here's the key. Don't become so preoccupied with the gifts that God has given you that you lose sight of the giver. So maybe the big question of life is not how can I make more money and keep more money that God gives to me? But instead, how can I use what isn't really mine anyway in a way that glorifies the God who is the rightful owner and giver of the gift of money? How do I keep myself from becoming too preoccupied with temporary things when eternal things means so much more. The gift shouldn't be loved more than the giver. Job understood this. Job 121, he said, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul understood this. He wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, but we can, and we cannot take anything out of the world. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Back in verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry away in his hand, naked in, naked out. Verse 8, it says, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. Remember the inconclusion of Solomon's writings in Ecclesiastes from Ecclesiastes 12 we talked about earlier. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. The end of the matter, fear God and keep His commandments. 
For this is the whole duty of man. He is the blessed and the only sovereign and the King of kings and Lord of lords. So keep His commands unstained. Let's keep reading a little from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is our overarching theme for the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't just think in the now, because now will be gone soon. Focus on forever. That's what really matters. Remember God in everything you do. Enjoy life and enjoy God. I'm going to ask Lisa and Daniel to come. Romans 8.32 says that God has already provided everything that you'll ever need. The proof that He cares about you is evident in Matthew 6 where Jesus says He provides even for the grass of the field. And Matthew 10 where He teaches that God provides even for sparrows and that you are of much greater value to Him than a bird. So we can be content with or without stuff, with or without money. Matthew 6.21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how you earn, spend, save, budget, and give away the gifts God gives you is a direct indicator of how much you treasure the giver. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, A good father gives good gifts to his children. And money is a good gift, but it is not God. Our God has given the greatest gift we could ever receive in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is a gift that God gave us, Jesus. And Jesus gave us His life on the cross to pay the price for all the sins of all eternity so that we no longer have to fear God, but we can enjoy life in this world and enjoy peace with God in eternity. But the gospel is more than just a, a, a supernatural, external thing. The gospel, the good news, the best news, the greatest news that we could ever receive is a person. It's Jesus Himself. So the good news isn't that God might or might not give you money. The good news is, it, is that if you repent of your sins and believe, God gives you Himself.